What's up? It's episode 71, pain points of wealth, and markets are trying to find their footing as unemployment is coming down, more people getting jobs, labor participation rates going up. The Fed, we have no idea what the Fed's going to do. They're keeping it a secret. And all the while, we're seeing wages go up. We're seeing productivity in the economy go up. And we're seeing extreme pessimism amongst investors. What does it all mean? We're going to break it down for you today. And we're going to talk about one of our favorite Americans, Ben Franklin, great Philadelphian. What he said back in the day that you can apply to your finances to make sure you're on track for your plan for financial independence. We got a great show. Hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey guys, I'll tell you what's up. Inflation. Inflation's up because prices of goods are going up, right? We got more supply than we have demand. Meanwhile, we got J-PAL and the Federal Reserve. They're actually telling us what they're going to do, right? They're telling us that they're going to continue to taper, even though inflation's already up 7% year over year. They tell us maybe next month, right? We're in February now. Maybe at the end of March, they're going to start to raise rates. Meanwhile, we have all this inflation and the Fed's acting as if it's two years ago. Well, you don't know any uh, bureaucrat in government that actually likes to move things quickly. It's been all due respect, anyone works in the government. But we don't even really know what they're going to do, right? We don't know how many times they're going to hike rates this year. We got every bank in the country saying that they're going to raise interest rates. I heard one bank say seven times. It's like they're just falling over themselves to find like a more dire situation. So I think the bottom line of what you're saying here, Bob, is the Fed's probably not going to be as tough on inflation as they probably should be. Hey, Chris, you know, I often hear you say, when it comes to the markets, history doesn't always repeat, but it often rhymes. Now, I lived through a hyperinflationary period, and we know what the Federal Reserve has to do. We know what they have in their toolbox to curb inflation. And that was when Paul Volcker was our Federal Reserve chairman back in the 70s and 80s, and he put the country into a recession. I don't know. I'm not sure that Jay Powell has the spine to actually put the country into a recession. And if he does, he seems to be taking his time. Well, Dad, that may not be true. I was actually talking to a client of mine yesterday, and she says that she remembers what it was like back in the 70s and the 80s when she bought her first house. She had an 18% mortgage. So she's pretty concerned that the Fed might have the spine to put us back into a recession. I think a lot of our clients feel that way. Well, you know, I agree with Bob here. You know, really, Paul Volcker, anyway, he seemed like a cool dude. He had that big cigar. He just looked like a tough guy. He looks much tougher than Jay Powell. But I digress. But I think, you know, the one thing here, you talk about the 70s, and dad, you can talk about this or attest to this, is you have what you call that wage price spiral, right? Where wages were going up, but prices for goods and services were going up. So you weren't really getting ahead. The one interesting thing about the report last Friday, as we're recording this, is productivity gains were through the roof. Meaning, yes, wages are going up, labor costs are going up, but companies are becoming more efficient than ever to offset the fact that we have to pay more for the people we have working for us. Now, you're right, Rye. We do have much better productivity today than we did back then. But you know, one of my favorite Bobisms is the cure for higher prices is actually higher prices. Now, right now, you know, the consumer doesn't seem to care about price, right? You're paying $350 a gallon at the gas pump, depending what state you live in. It's not hurting demand. Actually, as a percentage of income, it's not really as bad as it's been in the past. So we still see that demand. But you know, if prices keep spiraling higher, 
people are going to stop spending, right? If it gets too costly, they're going to tell you. They're going to let the retailers know, hey, no mas. So what right now, what I think you're going to see happen is you have inflation, especially price increases. Higher prices will take care of themselves. Inflation will take care of itself. And because we have productivity, this economy will continue to rock because companies are being very innovative. I totally agree with that, Dad. This weekend, I was away with some of the Luis's, my fiance's family, and they're all in the uh, contracting business. And one of the brothers was saying that he was doing a project for a client of his. He gave them some outrageous quote, and they didn't even balk. They didn't care. They were willing to pay the price, no matter how much it costs. Chris, that sounds like every contractor I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also the point right now, too, is look, wages are going up. They went up over 6.5% year over year. It's a big bump in wages. And if you look at middle class, specifically in the US, who drive a lot of the buying, because people that are extremely wealthy, just because they have more money in their pocket doesn't mean they're going to spend more, but the middle class does, they still have a trillion dollars saved from the pandemic. So their wages are going up. We got COVID cases dropping like a rock. If you look at any survey out there, people are saying, hey, I'm going to spend as much money or more than I did in 2019 over the summer. So you're going to have an exuberant consumer as weather gets warmer, people are getting out, and that's just going to drive growth because we know in the US, what drives growth It's Americans love to spend money and they're going to spend a lot of it. And that is a very, very positive, or we like to say bullish sign for the economy and the stock market. Well, speaking of the stock market, speaking of investing guys, this is why it all comes down to common sense. Instead of listening to the talking heads and trying to interpret the data to figure out what to do, you pay attention to what's going on and you invest accordingly, right? How many times have we warned our listeners to stay away from bond funds. Some of you guys have looked at the leveraged bond funds, those closed-end municipal bond funds, year-to-date are already down 10%. I mean, exactly what we predicted. Well, you know what, Bob? Our crystal ball's been working. What can I tell you? Until it doesn't. Hey, right. Just look what's happening with interest rates, right, Chris? Inflation goes up. You anticipate interest rates going up. Interest rates go up, right? The one end of the seesaw goes up. The other end goes down. What goes down? Long-duration assets like these bond funds. And also, you look at these non-productive, non-revenue technology companies. I mean, they're dropping like a rock. I mean, the average stock in the NASDAQ is already down 50% this year. Well, here's the irony, too. And I think this is an interesting point, because you go back to the tech bubble. I mean, the big tech bubble in the late 90s is we had all these predictions about the internet, how the internet was going to affect our life and how it was going to change our life. And it did. But all those technology stocks underperformed for that whole decade when the internet was changing our actual life. And I see the same thing right now, right? We're seeing these productivity gains, like we have a shortage of drivers in the country, truck drivers. I can see a day where we have autonomous trucks driving on the road without any sort of truck driver because we don't have enough truck drivers to fill the jobs. So all that autonomous driving and all these technologies will come to fruition, but all these stocks probably won't do anything because they're already overvalued and the market's already pricing in all this great innovation that we're going to see over the next decade. Uh, As I always say, guys, fall in love with a company that's productive fall in love with valuations when they're cheap, don't fall in love with the story. I mean, you go back to the tech bubble, all these stories were fantastic. And guess what? They all came true. But the prices that some investors were paying for in 1999 and 2000, they didn't break even until 2014 or 2015. And you take a company like Cisco, for example, you still haven't broken even. So you have to, price really matters, right? It does matter. Price is what you pay for the stock. The value is what you get. You got to make sure you're getting good value. And you're already seeing that. And you're going to see more of this. Like Tesla blew out their earnings and the stock dropped like a rock. And everyone's like, I don't understand. Their earnings were so good because the market already priced it in. The market's forward looking. And that's something that gets forgotten. And we talk about that at nauseum on this show. But all the things we know about what's going to happen in the future, 
Well, the market knows that too, and it's already figuring that out. You know, whatever is known is not worth knowing. It's already priced into the stocks. You know, right on your point about technology, actually, a buddy of mine sent me a whole list of companies he wanted me to research. And he wanted to be long in all these individual technology names, but he wanted to short the ARC fund. And the research I came up with after looking at all these holdings is that they're all held in the ARC fund. So in other words, he wanted to be long in all these big tech companies, but he wanted to short the fund that they're all held in. So what does that tell you? Well, then it'll be neutral. I like that. I like that. It'll be neutral. If you buy and sell the same stocks, it'll be neutral. So it's like being in cash, but with more excitement. And so far, that's the tale of 2022. You don't want to keep buying the stocks of the last 10 years. You don't need the portfolio of the last 10 years. As a matter of fact, the portfolio of the last 10 years is going to lose you money for the next 10 years. In my opinion, you've got to be in the portfolio of the next 10 years. And so far, that's being led by energy, commodities, and keeping your risk low. Hey, I hope you're enjoying episode 71, Pain Points of Wealth. Our subscribership is going through the roof. We have over 65,000 downloads. Thank you for the support. If you like our content, love our content, please forward it on. Anyone can benefit from the information that we give you on this podcast. Your support gives us the ability to continue to the podcast. Give us the five-star ratings on iTunes. Give us a like on that YouTube channel. Click that notification bell. You can be updated every week of new episodes. Thank you for your support. Again, like, give a five-star rating to Pain Points of Wealth. All right, gentlemen, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And Chris and Bob, since we're all from Philadelphia, the suburbs, technically, I've always admired the great Philadelphian Benjamin Franklin. You know, he was a true visionary. He was an inventor. He was a thinker. He had so many great insights to human nature and how the world works, you know, even back then that are really applicable to today. So I thought we could talk about how some of his more famous sayings, you can actually apply to your financial life to make sure you're on track for your plan to financial independence. Well, right. You know, Ben Franklin is one of my favorite Philadelphians as well. And one of my favorite sayings by him is an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And I think what he's saying here is that as it relates to markets, you got to study the market. You got to be a student of history so you don't make the same mistakes twice. Hey, Chris, I also love Ben Franklin. I think he was an incredible entrepreneur one of the greatest Philadelphians of all time, if not the greatest. But, you know, he didn't have a monopoly on great expressions. I mean, I don't know who said it, but it's a pretty famous guy. He said that, make sure when it comes to your portfolio, you know what you own and you know why you own it. Sounds like a Bobism to me. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was a Bobism. But that's the lesson. You know, if you don't have the time to study and know everything's in your portfolio, and here's how you know, you should be able to explain each and every investment to your grandchild in less than five seconds. And if you can't, that means your portfolio is too complex and you better have a financial advisor you can trust. Well, I think that knowledge is a really, really important part of it because what you don't know, and I don't know I'm paraphrasing, not actually Ben Franklin again, is the history that you don't know. And I think that's something we talk about a lot, but you know, you can find something in history that's similar to what we're experiencing right now. Like we talk about the dot-com bubble and what we're seeing with disruptive technology now, whether it's Bitcoin, SPACs, NFTs or whatever it is, we kind of know how it's going to end. So I think for a lot of these newer investors, millennial investors specifically, like they'd never experienced that before. So all this is very, very new, but the blind spot is they don't know history. And I think that's an important component. And that's why I think, you know, there is some value in being like Warren Buffett, who's in his late 90s or his mid 90s, is they've seen, you know, him and Charlie Munger, his partner, have seen so many market cycles that they've seen all the history. So their advice is going to be better. Yeah. You know what, Ry? I miss our days at Merrill Lynch because whenever we had a sales meeting and they were introducing a new product, you and I would immediately go to the risk factors. 
And in the risk factors, it would say the only way this investment won't work if this so-and-so happens in the next six months to a year, which has never happened in history. We could almost bet that was going to happen in the next six months to a year, made a lot of money betting on it. So, you know, not only does the ordinary and average investor not know what the risk is until you have hindsight, a lot of professional investors don't know either. Well, it reminds me of those structured products. And one of them said, the only way this thing will ever destruct or self-destruct is if Lehman Brothers goes out of business. And they did. (laughs) So that actually does happen. Another Benjamin Franklin quote that I love is, a penny saved is a penny earned. And I think you can apply this to a lot of you that are looking to retire probably sooner than later. Well, I first of all, I think pennies are going away because it now costs the government more to create a penny than a penny's actually worth. But I digress. Well, I think that's why I think our clients should be giving us those pennies so we can turn them into nickels and dimes and quarters. Absolutely, Chris. But you know, that's the whole thing. The best time to start investing, start saving is when you start making any money at all. It doesn't matter what age you are. We know the earlier you start, the better you're going to be because wealth creation isn't about buying low and selling high. It isn't about having gifted insight to the unknowable. It's about compounding. Compound of interest and dividends and savings is what creates phenomenal wealth. It makes Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger the two biggest investment geniuses of our time. You could be a genius just like them. All you got to do is save. So, Dad, maybe the saying should be a penny saved is a penny compounded. I like that better, Chris. Chris Franklin over there. There it is. Chrisisms. I have to say, I'm the only pain that still lives in Philadelphia. That's true. The real patriot of the group. Even Ben Franklin left Philadelphia, Chris. I think you're the last one there. Well, the other thing to think about too is, and we run these projections a lot. I have a client who wants to retire. He doesn't like his job. He wants to get out as soon as possible. And he's in his mid-60s. But the problem is he's so close to making it, but he doesn't quite make it over the edge where he can be comfortably retired. And every year he works, that's another year he's not drawing from his portfolio that allows it to compound. So if you're on the edge there, a lot of times just working another year or two years can have a huge impact on your wealth plan. So you got to be really careful about when you decide to retire, like for this gentleman specifically, like if he works two more years, he just sucks up for two more years, his financial picture changes dramatically for the better because that's two more years of compounding his portfolio as opposed to drawing from his portfolio. But you know, I think the message here, guys, is that saving is an all-weather event, right? You have to say whether the economy is doing well or poorly, whether the market's up or down. Now, we work with the best and the brightest of clients, and I can't name a client who didn't stop adding to their 401k or thought about adding to their 401k because the market was down, right? It's so counterintuitive, right? Oh, things are bad. I better hold off investing. No, that's the best time to do it. I think the best lesson we can learn is when you're about to save money into your portfolio or make an investment and you're sick to your stomach, you know you're making a great purchase. Here's another one I like, guys. He that lives upon hope will die fasting. And this kind of goes in that whole mindset of that hope is not a strategy. I think that's another Bobism. Yeah, I think you're right, Ry. I think it is a Bobism. And you know, basically what it means is that you, know, you don't want to just wish your portfolio to do well. You, know, you have to make good conscious decisions about how you're investing your money. Well, you know, it's either like you have a wish portfolio or a wish sandwich, Chris. I just wish this sandwich had some really good meat in, in there. Bob, Bob. And that's a good point because at the end of the day, like, it's easy right now because markets are going up. You may be invested and you might be thinking, I'm okay. But unless you run those numbers, unless you really sit down, look at your expenses, Look at what you're saving, look what inflation is going to do to your portfolio. You don't really know. And, you know, it's the old saying like, we spend more time planning our vacation than we do our financial life. That's insane. No, I absolutely agree, Ryan. I think right now, and Chris, you're seeing this with your clients. I know a couple of calls we've been on is, wow, we've made so much money in the last 10 years. Maybe we should put it on the sidelines so we don't give it back. I mean, the biggest problem isn't the fluctuations of the market or long term or short term capital gains. 
The biggest issue every investor is facing right now is inflation. And how is your money going to overcome that inflation, right? You took at the purchasing power of the dollar. Since I've been born, it's lost like 80% of its value. So if you're going to put your money in cash or you're not going to invest your cash, all you're doing is increasing the probability that you're going to fail as an investor, that you're not going to have enough money to live on. You're not going to overcome that insidious hidden tax we call inflation. Well, you know what, Dad? It's like whenever I talk to my clients, you know, they make that comment about, hey, you know, should we be getting out? You know, should we just take profits in the sidelines? I go back to that great Warren Buffett quote, which is favorite holding period is forever. You know, the only time you should be taking money out of your portfolio is if you want to buy something. Absolutely, Chris. I agree. Now, there's another great Ben Franklin expression. There are no gains without pains. And this just came out before the no pain, no gain radio show, right? So that's not P-A-Y-N-E. It's P-A-I-N for the record. But I agree. There's no gains without us. I mean, come on, we make it happen. We make the magic happen. But it's true, right? I mean, you have to suffer some volatility. Like there's no reward without risk. And sure, you can sit in cash, you can earn nothing, and your money's not going to fluctuate, but you're losing its purchasing power. But you put your money in a diversified portfolio that is going to fluctuate, which is pain, but you get rewarded in the long term for suffering that volatility. There's no free lunch. Hey, look, you didn't have any volatility, there'd be no opportunity, right? If stocks only went up, right, there'd be no risk. And without risk, there's no opportunity. You know, you get rewarded for investing in the stock market because at any moment, at any time, you could lose 50% of its value. That's painful. If you don't want to know what pain is, look at your portfolio right now and cut it in half. That happened in 2008, happened in 2000, right? It's going to happen again. If you can't handle the pain, you're not going to have the gain. Well, here's another one I like, guys, that Ben Franklin said, but also the great John Wooden of UCLA said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. So really what that comes down to is that if you're not doing some kind of financial planning, you know, you don't have something written down about what your goals are, chances are you're not going to be successful. You know, people certainly don't plan to fail, but they do fail to plan. And it's pretty interesting because when you have children, you know, everybody puts money away for college, whether it's in a trust account or a 529 plan, because it's a goal that's right in front of you, right? 18 years from now, when that child's born, you're going to have to pay tuition. Last I checked, these universities have no humor when it comes to not paying the tuition. Your kid can't get into the dorm, you know, without that check clearing. But when it comes to the bigger issues in life, right, your retirement, the income you need, planning for Social Security, planning, you know, for your estate, this is something most people put on the back burner. And it's just really that's uh, something where there's, I think there's a lot more procrastination there and fear of finding out that you might not be able to do it that causes this to happen, guys. Yeah, no, it creates a paralysis when you don't know and inertia. Whereas there's nothing more therapeutic than sitting down and figuring out your financial situation. It's literally what we do, financial therapy. It makes a lot of sense. And to kind of close this up, guys, one of my favorite quotes from Ben Franklin is, wealth is not his that has it, but his that enjoys it. And I was to say, Chris, no one enjoys their wealth more than Bob. Man, he lives in the best locations. He goes to the best places for dinner. He's got the best views. I mean, no one enjoys himself more than Bob. Right. You know who else enjoys Bob's wealth? His grandson and heir, Liam. That's true. We've been passed over. Let this be a lesson learned, guys. If you want to have your grandchildren visit you, live in nice places, okay? That's what it comes down to. But, you know, all seriousness, when it comes to wealth, I think this is something I'm hearing from a lot of successful entrepreneurs, a lot of successful people in business, is they're afraid to retire because they don't know what they'll do with their time. And they don't know if they can handle not having that paycheck or that income coming into their checking account every week or two. It's a big fear. And as the older you get, the more fearful you become about your future. And I can see it. And it's something that I think planning helps to overcome those issues. That's so true, Dad. As a matter of fact, I was talking to two clients of mine yesterday, and they just retired this past year. 
And they were telling me they wanted to know how they were going to get money into their accounts because their accounts were getting a little low. They were afraid to take money out of their investment portfolio. And I went and I showed them just the income that gets generated from their account. And it was about $360,000 a year. And I asked them, I said, do you think you could live off that? And they smiled, they shook their heads and they said, absolutely. Well, just to sum things up here, guys, and I think our good friend Ben Franklin would agree here is it's pertinent that you get on top of your financial life. It's better to know than not to know because once you know and have an idea of what income you're going to need, what inflation looks like, what kind of income you can generate, that's going to get you on that path to financial independence. That takes away a lot of stress and gets you to the life that you want to live. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 71, Pain Points of Wealth. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. But if you want a more hands-on approach and you saved over $750,000 for your financial independence plan, you can qualify for our free full analysis, our total financial master plan. We'll review everything for you. We do 10 a week. All you need to do is go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify. We'll go through all your investments. We'll build you your own financial portal. We'll do a deep dive into everything financially speaking, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, a full savings and income plan to make sure you're on track for financial independence. There's no other firm that'll do all this work up front But if you have over $750,000 saved for retirement, if you want that free review, simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, Taylor Swift has eight different albums charting on the Billboard 200 album chart a huge amount for any artist. However, Prince holds the all-time record for charting the most albums simultaneously with 19 albums at once. That's an incredible number. It is an incredible number, but what's even more incredible, Chris, is that Ryan has each and every one of these albums, and I think he plays them at least once or twice a day. But I just got to shout out to Taylor Swift. What an incredible success. Uh, I happen to know the family. I've seen her grow up since she was a little girl. That success is all her. She's amazingly ambitious. She's an entrepreneur, deserves all the success that she has. Oh, well, good, Bob. But Chris says he prefers Prince to Taylor. What can I tell you? Chris, global oil demand has fully recovered nearing 100 million barrels per day. And that is in light of commercial airline demand is still only 60% of what it was in 2019, which says to me, prices can keep rising. Well, as you guys know, I'm always on vacation. I'm always at the airport. And I have to tell you, I was flying last week. And the amount of people at the airport, the amount of people on the plane, I have a feeling that demand is just going to keep ramping up. I think by the summertime, it's going to be absolutely crazy. Hey, Chris, I got great news. I was out with your cousin Joey the other night and uh, he called your brother out saying, wait a minute, Chris isn't the one that travels all the time. It's Ryan because every time I try to reach him, he's in some foreign country. He's on a plane. He's never, ever at the office. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I just sit at my desk and work, work, work while the two of you do whatever you want. It's a messed up situation. Bob, the probability of success when day trading is only slightly better to that when flipping a coin. There's historically been about a 54, 46% chance of making money when holding stocks for one day versus 50-50 from flipping a coin. Day traders beware. Well, I'll tell you what, you know who should beware are you, the investor, if you invest, because you turn on any of these talking head programs that are about investing. And what are the shows about? What I bought yesterday and sold today. 
I had that last week. I don't have it anymore. I mean, it's all about trading. Trading doesn't create wealth. Trading creates commissions. It creates taxes. It actually is antithesis of creating wealth. It's the worst thing you possibly do. Never met a day trader who didn't do as well as my friends who go to the casino who claim they always do well. That's right. They always tell you about your winners, not your losers. Think about that. Chris, a group led by a Russian cybersecurity executive stole early looks at unannounced earnings, making over 82 million trading ahead of unreleased data from over 165 companies. The hackers targeted two firms that thousands of public companies use to make electronic filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Well, boys, this just goes to show you crime doesn't pay. Just because you're in Russia doesn't mean you can't go to jail for insider trading. That executive was extradited to the United States to face trial here. Insider trading is as old as the hills, guys. And think about one of our favorite movies, Wall Street from the 80s. It was all about getting inside information to trade on it. And just like this situation, it didn't end well for uh, Bud Fox and Gordon Gecko. All right, guys, another great show. Hope you love our content. Like it. If you really like it, give us that five-star rating. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Send it off to a friend or a person can benefit from our information. Give us a like on YouTube. Click that notification bell. Thank you for the support. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.